Thank you, ladies. Amen. If uh, you would grab your Bibles and stand with me this morning and turn to the book of Jonah as uh, we prepare for our scripture reading, as Pastor Chris is going to start uh, a series that will get us ready for our Missions Emphasis Month and our World Outreach Celebration from the book of Jonah. What's eating Jonah? You can run, but you can't hide. I have a feeling that there is more than a fish that will be eating Jonah. We'll read the first chapter of Jonah this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God, we come to you this morning and and just ask for your word to speak to us. to, uh, we ask for open hearts and open minds and open lives that we can be changed by the power of your word um, and just ask that you would be with Pastor Chris um, and just give him the words that you want to speak to us and, uh, and that, that we would leave uh, with, uh, with just an impact of what your word has to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray.
Well, amen. Did you get the message? Well, if you got the message, then you got the message of the book of Jonah. Answer the call to all. That's the story of Jonah in a nutshell. Every time I read the book of Jonah, I'm amazed again at how simple it is and yet how deep it is. You can go as deep as you want into this book and find greater truths of what God wants to say. It's about the call to all of us to go to all peoples with conviction and compassion. And that's the theme of this year's World Outreach Celebration, October 20th through the 24th. I hope you have your calendar set and your, your uh, day timer and all of that marked, and you're ready to come, because in less than four weeks, our missionary guests will be here, and our hearts need to be prepared for what God is going to do, because God is in the business of moving and calling and initiating his work with his people. And like all of us, we're going to have a choice, a simple choice. And this is Jonah chapter 1. You've, you've heard Zach read it, to answer God's call or to ignore it or to even rebel against it. You see, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. In fact, I hope and my prayer is that each of us will come to the point through this series where we say, I am Jonah. You see, every time I feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to share Christ with someone, and I simply ignore it or run in the opposite direction, I am Jonah. Every time I feel the need to invite a friend to church, and I allow other things to distract me, I am Jonah. Every time the Spirit of God leads me to do an act of kindness for someone in need, and I choose to delay the doing of it, I am Jonah. And every time I choose to stay in the cocoon of my house and remain a couch potato instead of reaching out to my neighbors, I am Jonah. You see, every time I choose to fill my daily schedule with running errands that focus strictly on me and those I love, I am Jonah. And every time I isolate myself in my suburban fortress where I will never encounter anyone that does not look like me act like me, talk like me, or smell like me, I am Jonah. Now, is it just me? Good. Or can we all say this morning, I am Jonah? If we were to ask, what's eating Jonah? Zach, being a teacher, was very alert to this. What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Now, for me, it's uh, the VeggieTales movie. And I am a big proponent of that, and so I will mention it every sermon I can. But beyond that, probably what jumps into your mind is what? Yeah, the image of the great fish that uh, Zach read about, that swallows Jonah in chapter 1 and takes him for the ride of his life in chapter 2 and ends in chapter 2 by vomiting him out onto a beach. I mean, how can you not miss that? But if you read the whole book of Jonah from beginning to end, you will see and learn the lesson that God is trying to teach Jonah, and not only Jonah, but through him, the people of Israel, and through him also to all of us here and all of God's people in all ages. And ultimately, all of us here need to hear this. You will answer the question, what's eating Jonah, in a much different way than saying a great fish. You will say that what is eating Jonah is a heart problem. I'm calling this series, What's Eating Jonah? Not because in chapter 2 he gets swallowed by the great fish, but because 
Jonah had a heart problem. Something was eating him, not from the outside, but from the inside out. He had a heart that was being eaten away in relation to answering God's call to all. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Because, after all, many of us have repented of our sins. We've turned from our sins to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You've, you come to church regularly. You tithe off the gross of your income. Uh, you may even give over and beyond your tithe and give faithfully and regularly to Faith Promise Missions. You may even come to the World Outreach Celebration every year on a regular basis. And those are all good things. You may even get involved with our community outreaches occasionally. But what does that have to do with me then if I'm doing all these things? What's eating at me? What's eating at my heart? Well, here's what I would say to all of that. All that, that I just mentioned is good and necessary and important and vital. But the reality is this. You can do all those things, and none of that guarantees that we have a heart for people. Let me say that again. You can do all those things, and it does not guarantee that we have a heart for people, a heart for answering God's call to all. You see, the missionary problem is always a heart problem. What do I mean by the missionary problem? I mean simply this. Jesus looked out onto the, the, the needs of people and he said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's the missionary problem or the missional problem. The problem is there is a world of lost people that are in need of Christ, and God is drawing them to himself. The problem is there's too few laborers going and sharing that message message. And that problem is a problem that eats away at the heart of everybody. It's a problem that happens between the pews, and it's a problem that can happen behind a pulpit. None of us are immune. What's eating you this morning from the inside out? What is keeping you from being an obedient, an obedient Christ follower to reach out to all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's keeping you silent instead of speaking up? What's keeping you within the walls of your home instead of reaching out to your neighbors? What is keeping you from embracing people who are very different from you? See, I'm asking God to work on our hearts these four weeks, and I'm asking him to begin with mine. I want God to do what only he can do, spiritual heart surgery, and to see what's eating away at our hearts and making them so much unlike the heart of our Lord and Savior. You see, the question today is this. Are our hearts consumed with fulfilling the Great Commission, or are our hearts being eaten away by apathy, by materialism, by prejudice, by pride? In fact, I would be so bold as to say that it's exactly because many of us are so active in the church, we are so active in giving to world missions, we are so active in all of these things, that that is the, the very reason why we need to be careful and ask, am I Jonah? Am I Jonah? Look at Jonah chapter 1, that's where we are. Look at Jonah chapter 1. The first thing you see in here in Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. Now, if you're a VeggieTale fan, you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you got to see that. Jonah, well, I can never say that anymore, Stephen, without 
saying, ooh, ooh. Jonah was a prophet committed to following God. Jonah was committed to serving God. Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was active in the ministry of God. Jonah was just like many of us. But Jonah also had a heart problem. Something was eating away at the heart of Jonah. And in chapter 1, we see that Jonah has a heart that is running from the Great Commission. Look again at verses 1 through 3. It sets the tone for the rest of the book, the rest of the series. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. To borrow the title for one, I think, is one of the greatest books on missions, Andrew Murray's Key to the Missionary Problem. The missionary problem is just this. God says go, and we say no. God says go, and we say no. What's eating at Jonah? It's a heart that runs from the Great Commission. So today I want to do in this, this lesson simply answer three questions. Three, look at three ways that our heart runs like Jonah's heart. And we're going to ask and answer what are we running from, why are we running, and what are the consequences of running. It's all laid out for us in Jonah chapter 1. So let's look at the first way our heart is like Jonah's. Number one, like Jonah, we often run from obeying the Great Commission. We often run from obeying the Great Commission. Just like Jonah in the verses I just read, we run from our responsibility to represent God. We run from our responsibility to represent God. Now, what you need to see in verse 3 is two times it says, from the presence of the Lord. In verse 10, it says it again. The men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, here's what you've got to understand. Running from the presence of the Lord, well, first of all, you can't do it. We're going to see in a moment. You can't run from the presence of the Lord because he's the Lord of heaven and earth, the dry land and the sea, as Jonah says in this chapter. We can't run. So what is he running from? He is running from the presence of the Lord, because when you trace this phrase out through the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord, to stand in the presence of the Lord is to stand as a willing, ready servant that says, your will is my command. See, he's running from being uh, his responsibility to represent God and to do his will. In fact, you can look in the Old Testament, David, young David, stood in the presence of King Saul as his willing servant. Your word is my command. Joseph stood in the presence of Pharaoh as his faithful representative. Whatever Joseph said, it was as good as the Pharaoh saying it. He was a faithful representative. That's what it means to run from the presence of the Lord. It means to run from being a willing servant and a faithful representative of one who has greater authority, greater command, and who has given us our marching orders. More than God's physical presence, this refers to Jonah's purpose in life. It refers to his calling as a servant of the Lord who was supposed to represent God to people and represent people to God in prayer and compassion. You see, God commissioned Jonah to go and reach the people of Nineveh. You see that in verses 1 and 2. Now, 
Think about this. The prophets are called throughout the Old Testament. When Isaiah, one of the greatest calls, Isaiah 6, Isaiah is called. And Isaiah says what in Isaiah 6? Here am I, send me, a willing representative, a willing servant. God calls Jonah and Jonah answers, here am I, send someone else, I'm out of here. I'm headed to Tarshish. Now, who was Jonah? Jonah was a Hebrew prophet from northern Israel. Well, who were the Ninevites? Well, the Ninevites, or the city of Nineveh, became the capital of Assyria. You say, what's the big deal with that? Well, Assyria was Israel's oldest and greatest enemy. The Assyrians were not just enemies, they were cruel enemies. And they were proud of it. There's nothing worse than being cruel and proud of it. These, and how do we know this? We know this because the Assyrians would brag and boast about their cruelty by putting it upon their monuments. And so these monuments still exist to this day. And what would you find on an Assyrian monument of how they treated their enemies, which were Israel? They pulled out the tongues of their enemies by their roots. They skinned them alive and then used that skin as wallpaper. In every city they conquered, they would build a pyramid out of human skulls. So they would behead their captives, stack their heads, and build a a pyramid that would be a lasting monument to their victory and their cruelty. Now, as you would expect, God was going to punish a people like that. God will punish And you can read all about that in the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum, the prophet Nahum, tells about God's predicted judgment on the people of Assyria, including the city of Nineveh. They were a pagan people under God's judgment, and would you agree, they deserved it. Well, when is this? When is Jonah called? Nahum is a hundred years, or many years later, the judgment is a hundred years off. God is calling Jonah a hundred years before the judgment will come. And he's saying, go to this people because their wickedness has come up against me, and I want you to preach a message of repentance and hope that comes before the coming judgment. You see, the Lord God of Israel is a God of both judgment and salvation. We've got to get that in our minds because we're losing that. We're losing the idea that a God of hope could also be a God of judgment. The judgment was predicted, the judgment was sure, but God is merciful and He has a heart of compassion for all peoples of the world, even the hateful ones, even the hated ones, even the ones that are most cruel and inhuman. God has a heart of compassion for such people and He wants a message of hope to be preached to them. Now, you've got to put yourself in Jonah's sandals to really appreciate this. This is like God commissioning a Jew from New York City to go to Berlin during World War II and preach God's love to Hitler. That's what this is like. You've got to feel that. This is like God commissioning a red-blooded American from Kansas City, Missouri, to go to Afghanistan after 9-11 in the midst of a war on terror and preach love to the Taliban and bin Laden. Not Go find him in his cave. Not to destroy him, but to preach to him a God of judgment and love who grants mercy. Repent, and God will forgive you and not destroy you. 
You see, the ruins, listen to me, the ruins of Nineveh can still be seen today across the river from the city of Mosul, which is in Iraq. Do you see the relevance that this is being played out all again? Those cruel, inhuman, uncaring, hateful, terrorists, radical Islamic Muslims. God loves them. And God is calling his people to bring a message of salvation even to the most hated, the most despised, and the most undeserving. Because if we can capture this today, I just described you and me. Because none of us deserve this opportunity. You see, God has commissioned every one of his believers to answer the call to all. I will read Matthew 28. Many are familiar, but we must not take it for granted. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, that, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Who are we to reach? All nations. We are to reach the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. The word is ethna. It means all peoples. Every people group on this planet, we are commissioned like Jonah to go. And yet, how often do we say no? Where are these people? They are, on the, they are at the ends of the earth. They are in jungles. They are in megacities. They are flocking to cities without jobs and without hope and just trying to survive, many without food and without the necessities of life. That's who we are called to. And how are we to do it? By making disciples by evangelizing them and taking those that are evangelized and teaching them all that the scriptures teach and to obey those things and then to send them out and to share this good news right where they are and let their influence spread all around the globe. We'll talk more about how to do this when we get to Jonah 3. For now, I just want us to ask ourselves, do I have a heart that is running from my responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, responsibility is one thing. Accountability is another. And with every responsibility, there's accountability. And like Jonah, we often run from accountability to personally obey God and fulfill his commission. In fact, you may be wanting to run right now. You may be saying, you know what? This is getting a little hot, a little heavy. I, you know, I'm feeling a little accountability here. But that's what we need to feel. Because that accountability and that responsibility is written over the great commission that I just read. And one day we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ who gave that commission. And he will ask me individually, eye to eye, toe to toe, Chris, what did you do with the gospel that I proclaimed to you? What did you do with me and the work that I did for you? 
What did you do with the life I gave you? You see, what happens when we run? Notice three things that happened to Jonah when he ran from his responsibility. And notice how God held him accountable. Number one, when we run, we often run in the opposite direction of obedience. We run in the opposite direction. I I mean, this book is so radical and fun. I mean, it it is so awesome. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Instead of traveling 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, he goes 2,000 miles southwest to Tarshish. Are you with me? I mean, he didn't just run. He ran in the opposite direction four times farther than what obedience would have taken him. Are you with me? 500 miles to Nineveh in obedience, 2,000 miles to the farthest reaches of the known world in that day. He went to southwest Spain. This is like God commissioning a Jewish person from New York City to go to Berlin during World War II and preach God's love to Hitler, and the Jewish person gets on the plane bound for Los Angeles and then flies to Hong Kong. Okay, that's the picture, and that is us. God says go, and we say no. And then, number two, we run down into greater disobedience. You see, we run in the opposite direction of obedience, and then we run down into greater disobedience. Now, if you look at chapter 1, there's only one direction Jonah's going. When we disobey, there's only one way, and it is down, down, down. Now, notice, he runs down to Joppa. He runs down into the ship. He goes down into the lowest parts of the ship. Then he lays down to sleep away his guilt. Now, surely, we're seeing a pattern here. He goes down at the end of the chapter into the belly of the fish, and let me tell you, we'll see in chapter 2, that fish takes him down, down, down to the very depths of of the sea. He goes as far down as you can go. And that's what disobedience does to us. When we run from God, listen, the first steps were easy. Hey, I'm going to buy a ticket to Tarshish. You know, a little vacation there, get away from God, get away from this guilt, get, get away from this responsibility. Things are getting tough. I'm just going to go. And I'm, it's, it's easy. But every, listen, but the easy ones keep leading you down. It's a slippery slide. And listen, Though it's easy to go down, every step up is hard. Every step up is hard. Now, here's a warning on the will of God. Just because there are open doors doesn't mean it is God's will for you to step through them. Did he have an open door to Tarshish? Well, yeah, plenty of room on the ship. Just buy your ticket. Hey, it's an open door. Got to walk through open doors. There's only one problem with walking through an open door. It's never an open door if God has already said to go somewhere else. It's never an open door if God has called you to do something else. So you've got to be careful of this open door mentality. Hey, I'm just going to try them all and go wherever. No, get in the Word of God, figure out what God has clearly said, and then be obedient to that, and He will open the doors. And number three, we run in rebellion against God. We run in rebellion against God. And the reason I say that is, Jonah was not just running from God, he was rebelling against God. And we need to understand that. Because I'm a great uh, justifier of, 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 of my sin, and I don't think I'm the only one. 
I can deceive myself. I can justify. I can say, well, I'm just doing a little vacation. I mean, I, and, and as a pastor, you hear this. I'm just taking a little break from church. And, and, you know, and, and I just want, did I just hear a Christ follower say, I'm taking a break from church? You know, you know what you're taking a break with the bride of Christ? I'm taking a break. Listen, he wasn't just taking a break. He was rebelling against what God had called him to do. And listen, if there's any hope for us in this series, if there's any hope for us to have God's heart, then we need to look at our heart and call it what it is, or we'll never repent of it. We won't repent of what we think is merely taking a break. We have to call it what it is, rebelling against God. Now, the question is, what are you running from this morning? Are you running towards your Nineveh of obedience, or are you running to your Tarshish in rebellion? That's really the only two choices we have. We can't stand still. We're either running to our Nineveh in obedience, or we're running to our Tarshish in rebellion. What has God called you to do to reach the world for Christ? What has he commissioned you to become? What has he called you to do to solve the missionary problem? The question is, am I becoming a Christ follower with God's heart for people of the world, or am I running in the opposite direction of what God wants you to become and of what God wants you to do? Now, why would Jonah run? This guy was a man of God. He was a successful prophet of Yahweh. Why would he run? But the bigger question is, why do we run when it's so clear what God has called us to do? So this is the second question. Uh, the second point, like Jonah, we often run from the Great Commission for the simple reason that we lack great compassion. We run from the Great Commission because we lack great compassion. And great compassion is the key to this book. It's the key to the book of Jonah. It's all about God's compassionate heart for even the most cruel, insensitive, undeserving people of which you and I are included. There's three reasons, I think, uh, that we can see in this book and just see in our own hearts why we lack great compassion for, for the lost. Number one, we love ourselves more than we love God and people. Can we say a collective ouch? Does that hit us all where we live? We love ourselves more than we love God and people. And yet God's heart's not like that. His heart flows with compassion for others. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It all flows from a God of compassion. You see, love for God and love for others as ourselves, is the heartbeat of missions. In Matthew 22, if you want to turn there, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, the Lord Jesus himself sums up what missions is all about. Young people, he sums up what your life is all about. For all of us, he tells us what it is that he expects of all of us. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, well, it's very much like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the reason we lack great compassion is we lack a great love for God and a great love for other people that is greater than our love for self. And how do we know that? By number two. How do we know that we love ourselves more than we love God and others? Number two, when we fear people more than we fear God. You see, you'll never get over your fear of people until you replace it for a greater love for God. You'll never get over your lack of confidence in front of others until you have a greater love for them than you do for protecting self. I try to encourage Amber as a public speaker, and I try to tell her, now just think of everybody you're speaking to there as you're running for secretary. Think of them all naked. Well, that discussion didn't go well. That, 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 that just didn't really, I, I, I somehow couldn't communicate what I was trying to communicate. What's the point? The point is you're trying to, the, the, that is advice given to public speakers all the time. And the idea is see them as more vulnerable than you. Well, you know what? That just doesn't always work. And what I have found works best for me is I get so consumed with the word of God and the message of God in the need of those who need to hear it, that I'm like, I will make myself a fool for you to share the greatest news about the greatest God who can meet the greatest need. You see, Jonah may have ran because he feared what the Ninevites would do to him. Hey, well, <laughs> you know, it's pretty easy preaching to you all. I don't see any of you that, that, that are going to rip my tongue out by the, my roots. You may have wanted to, but I don't think you would. I don't see any of you that are going to skin me alive today. You know, it, it's pretty easy to be bold and courageous behind this pulpit in this nicely uh, beautiful auditorium and with a lot of pleasant church-going people. But Jonah was being called to not-so-pleasant, polite people. They pulled out tongues. They skinned people alive. They cut off heads, and they had been doing it to his own people. When missionary John Patton expressed his desire to run toward greater involvement in missions by going to the island people located between Australia and Hawaii, a highly respected Christian person exploded, the cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! And in fact, 19 years earlier, some missionaries had been eaten by cannibals. I want you to listen to how Patton responds. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now, do you hear what these two men are saying? I mean, they're talking past each other. Mr. Dixon, a well-meaning, sincere, older Christian gentleman, is saying to this young man, don't waste your life. Answer, don't answer God's call to all. You will be eaten by cannibals. You will waste your life. And young Patton responds by saying, it doesn't matter how we, we die. We will all be eaten in the end. 
by worms or by cannibals. It doesn't matter how we die. What matters is how we what? Live. And whether we are living in a way as to not waste our lives and instead answer the call to all, to risk all, in order to get the message out to all and to please God. Now, Jonah may have feared what other Israelites would have thought of him. You see, God's people weren't probably that all encouraging to Jonah. Jonah, where are you going? I'm going to Israel. Jonah, where are you going? I didn't quite catch that. Oh, Assyria. What? I'm going to Nineveh, our hated enemies, to preach repentance before God's judgment falls. Now, what do you think the Israelites would say to that? A good patriotic Israelite. What would he say? He'd say, traitor, fool. He'd say, what a waste. Now, I know I've said this before and shared this, but... When I read these kind of passages and I think about wasting your life, I go back to my senior year when my favorite teacher at Oak Park High School comes up to me on the last day of school and wants to know where I'm going to school, expecting me to go at some great college to go be some brainiac something or other. She says, where are you going? I said, Liberty Baptist College. And I probably said it like Jonah, Liberty Baptist College. You know, hoping she'd think I was going to Liberty, maybe, over here in the city of Liberty. Her eyes kind of narrowed a little bit. She goes, well, what are you, you going to do there? And I said, well, I think God's calling me into the ministry. And her eyes just got steely cold. And she just said, what a waste. Turned around and walked away. And I'm telling you, I, I can stand, I'm standing there right now. A lady I respected, a lady I looked up to, a lady that valued me. But a lady who was lost, and within a year or two, I guess it was more than that, because uh, Todd and, and uh, some of you had, it, had her as a teacher. She died of cancer. And as far as I know, entered into eternity without Christ. And I'm telling you, her values are different today. You see, you're not always going to get encouragement, even from God's people, as you follow God's call on your life. You're going to have to overcome the fear of others. You see, there's a lot of fear in this chapter. In verse 5, the unsaved sailors are afraid of the storm. In verse 10, the unsaved sailors are afraid of for their lives. It's not until you get to verse 16 that they fear God more than they fear anything that they actually repent and cry out for His forgiveness. Here's the reality. Until we fear God more than we fear anyone else, we will never be able to be obedient to God. We will never do what He's calling us to do. So what do you fear more than God this morning? Whatever that is, it's keeping you from finding fulfillment in Christ. Don't let fear stop you from finding your fulfillment. Don't let fears of other people stop you from obeying God's great commission with great compassion. But there's another sign of a heart on the run, and this is really the, the brunt of it, number three. We love people less than, we love, than God loves them. 
We love people less than God loves them. And this is the ultimate reason why Jonah was running. We don't have to speculate why Jonah ran in the opposite direction because he tells us in chapter 4. Look at verses uh, 2 and 3 of Jonah chapter 4. And I'm, I'm giving away the end of the story. I'm giving it away. This is a spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know how the story ends, don't listen to this. But no, really, please do because this is why he ran. Jonah 4, 2 through 3. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was it not this what I was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For now he gives his reason why he ran. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than see you show forgiveness and compassion and mercy to these my most despised enemies. You see, we pursue what we love. We run toward what we are passionate about. Where, is your, where your treasure is, Jesus said, that's where your heart is also. Where your love is, that's where your heart will run to. Now listen, God loves people, so where does his heart run? It runs to people. Of all makes and all manner and all cultures and all people groups. God loves all people, and the proof that he loved them is that he sent his only begotten son to become one of us. To be born like we were born. To grow and live like we live. To cry like we cry. To hunger like we hunger. To thirst like we thirst. To be betrayed and rejected like we are betrayed and rejected. Christ did it all just like you have done, except there's one way in which he is not like us. He never sinned. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, he became the perfect substitute for our sins. And he willingly died on a cross and took the sins of the world upon him that we might be forgiven. And he rose from the dead victorious over death and sin and guilt and shame. And now he freely offers that to all people. That's because God loves people and he runs to them. And when our heart is filled with God's love, we will run to people with great conviction and great compassion to share the good news that Jesus can save anyone. Now, what happens when we refuse to, uh, to follow God's heart? What happens when we run from God? Well, there's consequences. Like Jonah, we can run, but we can't hide from obeying the Great Commission with great compassion. Like Jonah, we can run, but we can't hide from obeying the Great Commission with great compassion. I see three consequences, three things that we cannot hide from. Number one, we can't hide from the compassion of the Lord. You know, this is funny. He runs from the presence of the Lord. Can you do that? Can you run from God? Can you really run from... Is there anywhere on this planet you can go that God is not already there waiting for you? And please take comfort from that because some of you have been running for a long time. And you've really run hard. And you want to come back to God. And you're afraid that you have run so far that you can't come back. And I've got good news for you. You can't run so far that God isn't already there waiting 
to bring you back. Listen. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? I ascend into heaven, and you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be a light around me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Isn't that beautiful? You cannot run from the you cannot hide from the compassion of our Lord. Wherever you run, the hounds of heaven can and will find you. You cannot run from God's purpose for your life and ever find the personal fulfillment, the peace that you are longing for. God will make sure of that. Listen, Jonah had a miserable time in Tarshish, and so will you, and so will I. There is no peace in Tarshish. There is no peace. Number two, we can't hide from the cries of the lost. We can't hide from the cries of the lost. Look in verses 6 and 11. We, when we run from God, God has a way of revealing who we really are to those around us. The most miserable people on the planet are disobedient Christians. Because they can't hide. Because wherever they are, God outs them. God outs disobedient Christians. And that's what happens in verses uh, 6 through 11. God used the superstitious unbelief of these sailors to out Jonah. I mean, look at what they ask him uh, in, in verse 8. Tell us, for whose cause is this trouble? Jonah knows. What is your occupation? Uh, prophet. Where do you come from? Uh, the chosen people of Israel. What is your country? The people of God, Israel. What people are you? We're the chosen people who are meant to be a light to the nations. Do you see what God's doing? He's using these unsaved people to bring conviction because you can't hide from the cries of the lost. Finally, they say, why have you done this? And God uses an unsaved person to break the heart of a disobedient prophet and forces out of him a gospel witness while his heart is still hard. I mean, it's just an amazing, an amazing thing. Listen, when we run from God, we don't rebel in a vacuum, but we embrace that illusion. See, we think we can sleep in the belly of the ship and never end up in the belly of the fish. And the reality is, they are one and the same. A place of rebellion, disobedience, and pain. Others are always impacted by our running. Lives are at stake. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. There will always be consequences, and that's the third thing we can't hide from. In this chapter, we cannot hide from the consequences of running. You see, when we try to run from our commission to reach the world, we will only run into the discipline of our sovereign and compassionate God. And what will happen is we will reap what we sow, and what we sow is going to be God's discipline. What we will reap is God's discipline. Because we reap what we sow, we're going to reap God's discipline. Did you see in, pay, in, in verse 3? So he paid the fare. He paid the fare. You know what? Disobedience will always cost us. And what's the irony is? He paid to go to Tarshish, but did he ever end up there? 
No, he never ended up there, and that's what happens. We pay, but we never get what we really want. You see, Jonah forgot, I can run, but I can't hide from God's commission and my responsibility. And the sovereign Lord causes a great wind, in verse 4, that stirs up a great storm that eventually lands him in the belly of a great fish. You see, a sovereign and merciful God prepares divine discipline to bring Jonah back to his senses. And here's the irony of this. Listen, Jonah sowed rebellion against God's commission to go to Nineveh. Do you know what Nineveh means literally in in, in the Assyrian? You know what it means? It means house of the fish. Jonah rebels against going to the house of the fish, and he ends up housed in a fish. Now, am I the only one that sees that as humorous? Irony? I guess it's funny to everybody except one guy. Who? Jonah. And yet that's how God, he is so serious about what we do. He's trying to say to Jonah, Jonah, you can run, but you can't hide. You don't want to go to the house of the fish, so let's spend three days and three nights housed in a fish, and let's see if you will come to your senses. Wow. The lost are left to reap what they sow. What do the lost reap? They reap God's wrath. It's one thing to be disciplined and to be a child of God. It's another thing to be headed for hell because you do not know the saving message. And listen, folks, when we're disobedient to what God has called us to do, the eternal destiny of God of, of, of the people of the world hang in the balance. Notice in verses 5, 7, and 13, when people get in trouble, listen, when unsaved people get in trouble, here's what they do. They do what the unsaved sailors do. They get religious. In verse 5, every man cried to his God. Number 2, they try to clean up their act. They began to throw stuff overboard to lighten their load. Number 3, they seek to blame others. Their first question in trouble is this, Who's re- who got me into this? And number 4, they work harder to do good. Look at verse 13. They rowed harder. They rowed harder to bring the ship to land. But listen to these words. But they could not. But they could not. You see, all over the world, day and night, people are doing these same four things to earn their way to salvation, but they cannot. Because their best efforts are not good enough. Salvation is from the Lord. And it's according to his word. They had to listen to the prophet. It's according to his substitute. Someone had to be sacrificed. Someone had to be thrown overboard. And it's according to the sacrifice of his chosen one. Except Jonah wasn't a worthy sacrifice because Jonah was a sinner just like us. The only substitute had to be one greater than Jonah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the perfect substitute, and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. God's not going to force us to repent, but he loves us too much to leave us alone in our disobedience. Here's the miracle of this chapter. The miracle is not that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. What's hard to believe about this chapter is that Jonah's heart was so hard to God and his great commission. The message couldn't be clear. Every one of us who names the name of Christ this morning has been called by God to go to all peoples of the world with the only saving message of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, where's your heart? Is it in Nineveh 
running in obedience to God, or is it in Tarshish, running in disobedience? Let me encourage you with what Jonah would encourage us with. Stop running and let God turn your heart back to Him. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, I want you to open your heart. I want you to open your heart this morning, and I just want to ask you this. A couple steps, a couple action steps that you can take. If God has moved your heart with his word this morning, I want to challenge you to stop running this morning. I don't mean running from being a missionary, running from being a pastor, although maybe God's calling you to do that. But as much, what I really want to challenge you to do is stop running from the heart of God this morning. Is your heart running in the opposite direction? Then step two is confess that rebellion. Just confess it to God. And if, if you're not a believer, then, then confess to God, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And if you're a believer, then maybe you need to just say, Lord, I confess, I've resisted going wherever you want me to go, to whoever you want me to go to. I'm resisting that, I'm fighting, I'm struggling, I'm running, but today I confess I'm coming back to you. And I want to challenge you to cry out to the Lord in repentance and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, and not only my Savior, but I want to follow you as Lord wherever you lead me wherever you take me. And I want to challenge you this morning, start running towards the heart of God. You see, in verse 6, an unsaved person said to Jonah, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Let's wake up this morning, and let's call on our God to change our hearts. As they play, let's do business with God. times have I turned away the number is the same as the sand on the shore but every time you've taken me back and now I pray you do it once more please take from me my life When I don't have the strength To give it away to you Please take from me my life When I don't have the strength To give it away to you, Jesus How many times